episode of Fraternity. This is your big brother, Sean. And I'm your little brother, Danny. And this is week number two of our October horror movie watching celebration. And we are thrilled to have you with us. Whether you call it 31 Days of Horror or Shocktober, or perhaps you choose to watch something like Fear Fest, Who the Ween, or Terror on Tubi even. Either way, we hope you're enjoying yourself. Yeah, we're ready to get into another movie and have some fun for October. Yep, and all of this will be leading up to our very first Halloween special, which we can't wait to bring to you and deliver all the usual goods with our fondest of memories and freshest of perspectives. So Danny, let me ask you, during Halloween, did you ever find any of Farmer Vincent's fritters in your Halloween bag? No, I didn't, but I kind of wish I had. Kind of want a taste of it. Wouldn't you just try it at least once? Maybe a bite. Yeah, you know, that's unfortunate because <laughs> I never got any either. And as you know, it takes all kinds of critters to make Farmer Vincent's fritters. So the movie we will be talking about today is none other than Motel Hell. But before we get to the film, I thought we could get into the food theme of things and discuss Halloween candy. What do you say? Yeah, let's talk about it. Some, let's talk about some memories of Halloween. Yeah, let's, let's start off on a controversial subject. Candy corn. For or against it? You know, I love candy corn. I just have to admit it right now. I don't understand the hate for it. You know, my candy corn conspiracy is that no one has really tried it or given it a chance. And that's why, you know, it's just this kind of spiraling rumor that candy corn sucks. But I love candy <laughs> corn. Like, I could munch on it all day. It's a great snack. I always loved having it in my, in my bag. And I always took my friend's candy corn, so I had a never-ending supply. So I, I'm I'm totally for it. But what about you? First, did you just say conspiracy? <laughs> All right. Uh, honestly, I don't really eat candy corn these days. I I don't think I have anything against it. Just I just don't partake. I did when I was a kid, and you know, I guess from my experience as a kid, I would say that there's nothing wrong with candy corn, but there is something wrong with those really thick candy corn pumpkins. <laughs> oh, I love the pumpkins. Oh, no. Those are my favorite, the pumpkins. Yeah, some, I think last year I bought a bag of just the pumpkins. Right. Oh, man. that's a... I'm not a kid anymore. I can just buy my candy. But there's something special about getting it, you know, trick-or-treating. Yeah, well, R.I.P. to your teeth. So <laughs> whenever you did trick-or-treat, what were some of your uh, favorite candies? Uh, my favorites, candy corn was definitely a big one up there. But I liked um, Smarties. And if you're in the U.K. or any other part of the world to use smarties are kind of like m&ms but for us in the u.s smarties are these this like chalky candy and for some reason i really like that i don't know i think i just liked a lot of weird shitty candy <laughs> okay i gotta say i'm anti i'm anti smarty yeah smarties were another one where everyone i would just take everyone's smarties and i was i had this giant pile of smarties that i would just you know eat through november <laughs> Yeah, my, my Halloween bag would dwindle down to just just Smarties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everyone had Smarties at the end. Yeah. So what else you got? I liked 100 Grand, the little 100 Grand bar. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. this was like the only time of the year that you really got to see it. And it was cool. It was like a mix of like a kind of like a Twix and a, and a Crunch bar. It had like crisp rice, but it had caramel inside. It was covered in chocolate. And I really loved those, and not many people did, I don't think. So I, I liked a lot of the underrated candies that no one else liked. And of course, I liked all the popular stuff like Reese's and Sour Patch Kids, but uh, I, I was trying to think, like, what did I really like that I only kind of got around Halloween season, you know? Right, yeah. It's, uh, it's hard to really remember all the Halloween-specific candies. For me, you know, I'm a Reese's loyalist all the way. Reese's on Halloween is like getting a gold bullion so Reese's is number one. My girlfriend always makes fun of the way I say Reese's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was down with any of the milk chocolate candy bars, you know, like Snickers or Milky Way, stuff like that. That was all good to me. Tootsie Rolls are on my love them and hate them list because they were so abundant. You know, I could get down on some Tootsie Rolls, but just like Smarties, your bag would dwindle down to just Tootsie Rolls eventually, and then they were hard, and you didn't want to eat them. Oh, I hate Tootsie Rolls, man. Those are so gross. I can't, I, I don't understand anyone that likes them, or why they're even a thing. Like, who eats them? I guess you. <laughs> I, I guess so. 
I could also get down with the Tootsie Roll Pops. Those are pretty good back in the day. The Pops are good because at least it's like you, you're sucking on a, a lollipop and then it's a little bit of a Tootsie Roll inside, but just the Tootsie Roll itself is kind of, I don't know. I would just like, I'd rather have any, like literally any other piece of chocolate I would rather have than this. <laughs> yeah. Besides that, I was really struggling to remember what really stuck out in my bag. I think lemon heads were pretty big when I was a kid. And they also had like the cherry variant, which was really good. And then runts. I always remember liking runts. That's my chalky candy of choice. Runts are good. I, I really like runts. Cool. I also wanted to mention, you know, when I would trick or treat, there was always someone showing off in the neighborhood. I don't know if this was still a big thing when you were young, but they would have like some fruit punch or something and they'd have dry ice in there. So it was bubbling and smoking. And when you're a kid trick or treating and you see like a bubbling liquid, you're drinking that. <laughs> And I always enjoyed when someone did that. Yeah, I don't remember anything like that. No, that's unfortunate. So what were your, some of your uh, least favorite candies? Okay, so I already said Tootsie Rolls, but another least favorite for me was Dots. The oh, yeah. Gummy candy. Yeah, Dots <laughs> are And for no some good. reason you always, like, there was always an, an abundance of dots boxes of dots in your bag and i was just like man no one wants these no one wants to trade these like these are just gonna go to waste you know <laughs> and another one that i really hated that a lot of people like is uh whoppers i actually i have mini whoppers on my list like are you talking about the mini ones yeah something about whoppers is just really gross like i don't know they just taste like vomit to me <laughs> i don't like the chocolate malt balls I don't either, and I also have butterfingers on my dislike list because I hate getting all that stuck in my teeth. Yeah, it's like eating glass. Yeah, I hate butterfingers too, but as like a normal candy bar for rating like all candy bars, like yeah, butterfingers like last. <laughs> <laughs> cool, man. Cool. Well, now that we're in the uh, food mood, I gotta ask, was this a first time viewing for you, Motel Hell? I didn't know anything about this movie until I clicked play. So this is completely new, no knowledge at all of this film. Awesome, awesome. For me, I always remember seeing Motel Hell like on the rental shelves when I was a kid. But by the time I was old enough to get mom and dad to rent it for me, I could never find it. And I really wasn't able to see this movie when I was young, but I always wanted it, especially when I started collecting movies. I wanted it in my collection quite desperately because... Back in the early days of home video, MGM had these big boxes. Have you ever seen the VHS big boxes? Uh, I don't think so. They were basically like VHS releases, but they would come in this oversized box. And I want to say they were about as thick as a cereal box and taller and a little wider than a VHS. Like not vinyl size, but it would kind of fit into a vinyl shape, you know? And they were just massive and very eye-catching. And it made Motel Hell very appealing because it came in this one that was silver and it had a drawing of Farmer Vincent and Ida on the cover and the four heads buried in the dirt in front of them. And I mean, Motel Hell is already an attention-grabbing title. So you add that imagery on a massive box and it got my attention. I'll put it that way. Just classic. And I would settle for nothing less than that release when I was doing the mom and pop VHS horror collection. Unfortunately, I was never able to find it. And during all this, I did get my first semi-viewing of the movie. I remember one night I was laying in bed and I was flipping channels and I came across Motel Hell on television. I don't remember what channel it was on. And I remember being pissed that I didn't know it was on because I would have loved to have seen it. And I only caught like the last 30 to 40 minutes of it. But that finale solidified my need to get this movie and i never was able to get this movie until scream factory re released their blu-ray in 2014 and i finally got to see the rest of the movie i think it's an interesting film and since this is a first time watch for you i'm really looking forward to discussing it with you i didn't get my mgm big box but i've got the reverse cover so close enough so I guess whenever you're ready, we can jump right into Motel Hell. You're eating out my heart and soul, baby. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Our movie begins outside of the Motel Hello. The O is on the fritz and gives us a clever little title card shot. Did you like the flickering Motel Hello sign? 
Yeah, that's really cool. I love the flickering neon sign. and I love the credits. You know, they match the neon sign font, which is really cool and creative. And I like how uh, like slow moving this intro is. It sets a pace and a tone that I'm not sure if the film really matches <laughs> as it goes on. But for as, as far as the opening goes, I enjoy it. Yeah, I I love the motel hello sign. It's dysfunctional, a lot like the plot in this movie and the movie itself in some regards. So we meet our main character, Farmer Vincent, sitting on his rocker on the porch, having a smoke. And after a few moments, he goes inside and grabs some shotgun shells along with the shotgun itself. Then he peeks into a room and he sees his sister Ida. She's dead asleep. And there's this televangelist preaching on the TV, which will become a bit of a trope which I find hilarious in the film. Did you know this first televangelist is the guy that plays Guy later on? No, I did not know that. (laughs) Same actor. Thought that was interesting. (laughs) Okay. So Vincent turns the no vacancy sign on and he heads out into the night. And as he drives off, we see a billboard for Farmer Vincent's Smoked Meats. We join Vincent. He's out in the woods. Appears to be a late night hunt or something along those lines. But... Soon we hear an engine of a motorcycle approaching, and there's a couple traveling down the road when suddenly a shotgun blast rips through their front tire and causes them to crash. Vincent pulls his truck up to the crash site, and he begins to retrieve the bodies, and he walks over to the female rider, who we'll learn is a woman named Terry. And it's pretty clear, despite whatever his intentions are here, that he's kind of taking a liking to her. And eventually he even brings her home while Ida cooks a rather large breakfast, uh, herself possibly and ends up putting terry in granny's bedroom so that's our uh, first introduction into the world of motel hell we know there's a dark secret behind this family not quite sure what it is you know they're very eccentric i like i like ida singing in the morning while she's cooking breakfast you know <laughs> <laughs> clearly clearly they're, they're just fun to watch yeah vincent and ida are an interesting couple Then we cut to a brief scene where Vincent's slinging his meat. We got a couple inquiring about a purchase. And they got these two noisy children making a ruckus. And they end up sending the girls outside. And the girls end up going and exploring where they shouldn't. And they go into Vincent's smokehouse. Wander into the smokehouse. And then they get scared by, uh, I think it's a pig head or something, right? They get frightened off by someone who we're to presume is Ida, I think, wearing the severed pig's head over her own. And they end up running back to the car and the parents are leaving because they've wrapped up the sale and Vincent sees them off. And then a little later, we see Vincent enter his secret garden, but it's still kept a mystery to us at this point. But not long after that, we meet uh, Sheriff Dipshit Bruce, the younger brother of Vincent. (laughs) We get this false scare where Ida, like, sneak attacks him and roughhouses him a bit. Yeah, there's a shot of Ida in the closet with, like, a cleaver. And you're like, "Uh uh-oh. But then it just turns out she's just uh, being playful with her brother here, Bruce. Yeah, it's a good uh, fake scare, I thought. And uh, right here, can we just discuss what a mindfuck this has to be for the character of Terry? Someone has uh, buried her apparently dead boyfriend. (laughs) And I guess it's okay in this county? Under certain circumstances, it's passable by the law to just bury somebody. Yeah, like I said, this has got to be quite the mindfuck for her. She's in some strange county with two strangers. Her boyfriend's dead. He's been unceremoniously buried and the sheriff doesn't seem bothered by it. And they end up taking her to the cemetery. And we kind of lay the groundwork for Vincent trying to get her to stay at the motel with them. And then we're going to cut to a scene with a health inspector named Bob. He shows up for a spot check. And while he's checking out Vincent's pig pen, we see that he's clearly suspicious about the secret garden off in the distance. Yeah, he's hearing some weird noises because Vincent like keeps a tape player going as to like stir away people from that area. But Bob is becoming a little suspicious because, you know, he comes over there monthly and there's always something going on over there in that in that garden over there in the forest. So he's a little weirded out. We then get a brief scene with Vincent and Ida, like, wooing Terry into complacency before shooing her off to bed. And Vincent was outside just in time to see Bob's car sneaking onto the property. So we join Bob, and he's snooping around the garden now. And there's this, like, wall of shrubbery. 
and he finds a locked door hidden in the wall and he ends up climbing over and clumsily falling on the other side. But once inside the garden, everything looks relatively normal until Bob comes across a few rows of burlap bags. And without warning, one of them begins to twitch and gargle. Now, can we discuss this sound? Yeah, I'd love to talk about this sound, actually. Because I can't tell if it's, like, good sound design or if I'm just annoyed by the sound. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's really disgusting. (laughs) Like... I really think the sound achieves its goals in just grossing out the viewer and you get a lot of different tones and gurgles and hissing like ugh, it's just unnerving to say the least. It definitely works in what it sets out to do but I don't know as far as like being memorable or like likable I don't know I, I wouldn't say I really love the sound. I don't know it's just hard to put into words because like I really did hate it when watching it and I was just like, man, I like these these noises are literally making this like hard to watch for me. <laughs> but I don't know if that's like in a good way, you know? Definitely. Yeah, so Bob curiously but cautiously approaches the squirming sack and lifts it up. And he finds Terry's boyfriend, Bo, who's not dead, but he's buried up to his neck. And he's got a stitched up slit across his throat, so we see that his his vocal cords have been severed. And Bob is startled. And then you start to hear this eerie yet calming music start playing over the loudspeakers. And the other burlap bagheads start squirming around and making their grotesque noises. And then suddenly Bob gets hit over the head with a shovel by Vincent, who uses his great one-liner. Another spot check, Bob. So now we're going to cut to this punk rock group called Ivan and the Terribles. (laughs) And they're smoking dope and jamming out in their van. And apparently they've had it up to here, right? Yeah, they've had it up to here, had it up to here, had it up to here now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I like how the driver says, man, this dope's pretty heavy. I think we should find a place to crash. And find a place to crash is exactly what they do, right? Oh yeah, this van goes tumbling down. Yeah, Vincent had set another trap, and they roll down an embankment, and then Vincent walks up to the van and sticks like a nozzle of some gas in the window and knocks them all out. And then once he gets home, it's time to take Ida to the garden because they have some tending to do. And I like how when they're driving out there, he kind of talks about how important the traps are to him because all their little setups help him be creative and use his imagination. Like they really have no sense of right and wrong or what they're doing is wrong, which is pretty funny. Yeah, I like uh, Vincent telling Ida, yeah, it helps me be creative and, you know, think, (laughs) you know, I thought that was charming in its own way. And I like You know, I like the scenes between Vincent and Ida. They have a good relationship. Yeah. In the garden, Ida's like teasing Bo before Vincent surprises her by revealing Bob's in the garden now. And then they basically get to work planning Ivan and the Terribles. And they have this giant auger drill on the back of their tractor. And Vincent's digging these big holes. And I really like the shots of the drilling and Ida's dropping the bodies right by the holes. Yeah, it just seems like another day at work, except we're planting humans here tonight. Yeah, so they bury Ivan and the Terribles up to their necks. And then we get that famous line where she's like, they sure are some weird looking critters, aren't they? And Vincent says, you know as well as I do, it takes all kinds of critters to make Farmer Vincent's fritters. So they've got them buried in the garden now. And then we see them shoot them up with some drug and they go to work with severing their vocal cords. And now we're going to get to a few scenes. We've got like a family picnic with Vincent, Ida, Terry, and Bruce. We get a brief scene with Bruce taking Terry on the lake in a boat. And then there's another scene where Vincent and Ida feed their stock and Bruce and Terry go to a midnight movie. But I thought this would be a good time to kind of discuss the film's tone here because this is a horror... This is a horror comedy, but I feel like it kind of fails to commit enough to truly succeed in either aspect. The film was released in 1980, but I really wonder when the script was written because it comes off to me as a very 70s or even 60s film with a bit of 80s gore thrown in. To me, it almost feels like if Herschel Gordon Lewis made a trauma film. What did you think about the tone? No, I I agree that the tone is just like all over the place. In this film, it's almost like two different movies. 
like kind of fighting each other at some points. And I feel like the two plot plots, like when they finally kind of converge, that they, it doesn't really come to a successful payoff. And yeah, I do agree that the, the script does feel very 70s, like early, maybe late, maybe early 70s, late 70s, probably had development issues and wasn't able to get out until the early 80s, you know, 1980. And that's one of my biggest problems with this film is like, I just feel like it doesn't know what it wants to be because I feel like a lot of the comedy for me personally doesn't really work and like they don't commit enough to like good enough jokes and you know they they have this kind of weird creepy vibe that I think kind of does work like I said in the beginning of the film like it kind of has this ominous tone with Vincent like stalking in the forest and watching the crash and you know him and his secret garden and, and him and Ida at the secret garden I like all those scenes but then here's when the film kind of introduces the love triangle aspect of the film, which I think I do not care about at all. <laughs> it's just really odd to me. Yeah, I think they failed to make Bruce as likable as the doofus hero should be. And, you know, I agree with almost everything you said. I, I think there are good bits of horror in the movie, but the comedy just misses the mark. I think most people would call this a dark comedy. But I just find it to be overly dry rather than dark. I mean, surely it's dark comedy, but it's just super, super dry and hard to swallow. And it just doesn't land for me often. And I think, I think again, it comes from this failure to commit. You know, it's strange subject matter already. And I don't dislike the movie, but it definitely isn't one of my all-time favorites. It's sort of like that meme, you know, when you ask your mom for something, she says, we got that at home. It's like if you said to your mom... Mommy, I want Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And she said, we have Texas Chainsaw Massacre at home. This would be Texas Chainsaw Massacre at home. Yeah, I was reading that Motel Hell was like kind of influenced by Texas Chainsaw and some other popular groundbreaking horror films. But then I was just like, did they just like completely miss the mark or like understand why those films were good, you know? And yeah, I think Bruce is like a really weak character. I think most of the characters are kind of one note. Like, I don't, like, I think Farmer Vincent is probably the best, but I think that's only because Rory Calhoun's performance is so good. You know, he kind of transcends the role and elevates it higher than what it should be. And Ida is fine. Like, I like her actress. And, like, she definitely works as, like, this creepy, you know, kind of slob person. (laughs) But is she a good character? I don't think so. And I don't even like Terry, like, much at all. Yeah, Terry almost sleeps through the whole movie. <laughs> that scene when they're when she's all sad and depressed, and then like Vincent and Ida comfort her, and her turn is just like, oh, okay, yeah, it makes sense. Like, I'm happy now. I'm just like, what? Like, you were just like crying about Bo a second ago, and now all of a sudden, like, I don't know, it just wasn't convincing to me. And then I think Bruce is the worst offender. Like, if I had any any like any way to fix this movie, I think it would be Bruce because yeah, he is like totally unlikable and like. He does some sex pervert shit on Terry and it just comes off weird and he doesn't really get going until the end. Yeah, I think you, you would need to make Bruce a lot more likable. And if you really did want to go down the uh, the love triangle route, you could kind of make him more like, you know, relatable in the uh, in the unrequited love aspect. You know, maybe he like, you know, accepts that Vincent and and Terry like each other, but it isn't until he finds out all the, all the bad stuff that Vincent does that he, you know, decides to, you know, turn against them or something like that. Just make him more relatable and more more likable. Because like I said, I don't really like any of the characters in this in this film all too much, it, which is a shame because I feel like they're always like kind of interacting. And, you know, it is kind of a character story where the characters kind of suck. You know, I almost wish they would lean more into the horror aspect or the comedy aspect because... We haven't gotten to this scene yet, but one of my favorite scenes is like so over the top and stupid that it like it's the moment the movie lost me, but it's also the moment that like I was just like, okay, like I like this part. I think you know what I'm talking about. We did get a funny bit when uh, Sheriff Bruce was clearing out Lover's Lane so he could get that parking spot overlooking the drive-in movie screen. We got some boobs and bush of a young lady running out of the backseat of a car and we almost got uh, some wang, but they end up fleeing the scene and trading paint and smashing fenders with another young couple as they flee. And yeah, that's where 
Bruce eventually does get all date rapey with Terry. And meanwhile, Vincent has set up a pretty creative trap and he's caught two young women in the trap. One who might be carrying a recently received venereal disease. (laughs) Do you want to explain this trap? Vincent has set up like these cardboard cutout or these like wooden cutout cows on the on the street, right? And like, you know, they come to a sudden stop when they see them and for a moment they think they're real cows, but they're like, "Wait, they're just uh they're just fake." And then uh it's Debbie and Susie and Susie is kind of scared to go move the cows and Debbie gets out and does it and as soon as she starts to move the cows, Vincent pops out. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he grabs her, puts her out with the gas, and the other... Who, who's the other chick? Susie? Susie, yeah. Yeah, Susie leads him on a chase, and Bruce ends up catching wind of this over to CB, and he goes to try to catch up, but he ends up stuck in a pothole and getting there a day late and a dollar short, and Vincent gets the upper hand and goes like full Norman Bates here, and he pushes the vehicle into the marsh with his truck and later on Vincent and Ida are once again tending their, to their livestock in the garden and they suddenly hear a horn and now we're going to meet a couple of swingers and we find out another ingenious method Vincent and Ida use to trap their victims is through an advertisement for the motel in the back of a swingers magazine did you like the swinging couple um yeah this is my favorite favorite sequence of the film oh no <laughs> it's right here <laughs> With the swinging, because it's so stupid and ridiculous that it just like elevates it for me. Or it's like, this is so dumb that I love it, you know? Whereas the rest of the movie kind of like doesn't work for me in some ways. Like, this is where they kind of like totally commit, as we were saying. Dig it. I can dig it. Yeah, I love Guy. (laughs) Don't forget to do your stretching exercises. Oh, stretching. Yeah, the the couple is ready for action, and Vincent and Ida give them the keys to cabin one, and we are definitely off to a very ridiculous scene with the woman is in the whips, and she's demonstrating this by just wrecking the room, and Guy comes out of the bathroom cross-dressing in like some rubber tutu ballerina getup. Yeah, she she tells him to shave, and he's he's like he scoffed. He's like, you know, I always do. <laughs> and then she's lubing him up and vincent and i just show up let's get greasy (laughs) (laughs) oh man i love the serious look on vincent and ida's face and the couple just mistakes it for bondage play (laughs) is this doggy style no ma'am hog (laughs) (laughs) could you put your hands behind your back please (laughs) (laughs) yeah they're just so willing to do, they're just, you know, this is the the troubles of de- being a sexual deviant, I guess. You get caught into some, uh, you get kidnapped. Yeah. <laughs> You're not too careful. You become human cattle. I don't know, like, this is, it's so, like, vapid and stupid that it's just, get, it gets me every time. Like, I can't watch this scene without smiling. Just thinking about it, I just want to watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you have to watch a scene from this film, just just look up the... Yeah, the swinger, the swingers part of Motel Hell. Oh, Jesus. So yeah, Vincent and Ida end up gassing the swingers, and they're done. They're in the garden. They're planted. And we cut to the next day, and Vincent and Terry are bonding. And as Vincent offers to teach her how to smoke meats, he warns her that not everyone has the stomach for it. And he ends up going off to work in the farm. And Terry starts exploring and ends up going into the smokehouse. And Ida quickly catches her. And she's like chastising her for entering. And Terry's explaining herself like, oh, well, Vincent said he was going to teach me how to smoke meat. So I just was curious. And Ida is trying to distract Terry because there's like this bucket of gruel. And you can see like toes and fingers floating in it. (laughs) So Ida suggests tubing out of nowhere. And she's like, we should go tubing. And tubing is exactly what they do. And we get Terry here in a wet t-shirt. And we're about to get like some rapid fire boobage from Terry. And yeah, like you said, when we were discussing the characters, like we're almost an hour into this movie already. And we really haven't spent any time with Terry. And it's weird because she is supposed to be our lead female, right? Yeah, like I just don't feel like we get enough time with her to care. And... 
if we weren't gonna get time with Terry, we should have got more time with Bruce or something to humanize him more, because we barely get any time with him, because he ends up, you know, being the hero in the end. And I just think it's just weird. And I really don't understand this scene at all. I don't know why. Uh, so anyway, they're tubing, right? And Ida takes out a razor blade and pops her tube and then acts like she can't, she's drowning. And so Terry uh, goes over to try and help Ida. And then Ida flips Terry over and then attempts to drown Terry. And then Vincent comes out of nowhere and saves Terry. And Ida's like, what the hell are you doing, Vincent? I don't get why Ida, like, tried to kill Terry here. I mean, I guess she's jealous of Terry telling her that Vincent wants her to smoke meat. But I don't know why she would be jealous of that. Like, wouldn't she want the help or... I don't know. I, I, <laughs> can you help me? <laughs> that's how. I, that's actually how I interpreted it. I think she felt like Terry was getting too close, and for whatever reason, she sees that as a threat and tried to remove Terry from this situation. So yeah, I, I think you're spot on with your analysis. I don't see any other way it could really be interpreted. Yeah, I don't know. It just doesn't work for me and uh, as Ida's character because they are shown to be like caring towards her. But then it's like, how much is that real? But like, Vincent obviously cares about her a lot. I don't know. I just feel like the characters are written all over the place and only written to like, kind of serve the scene and not like an overall like theme or picture, like picture. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, well, this whole time, I think Ida's purpose has been to help woo Terry to the benefit of Vincent. And then once it starts to come into fruition, then she tries to kill her. So yeah, it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I guess, like I said, for whatever reason, she must feel threatened. But Vincent intervenes. And yeah, we end up going back to the motel. And now Terry's under the impression that Vincent has saved her life twice. We already know she likes older men because Bo is pretty up there in age as well. And uh, I guess Bo wasn't old enough for her because Vincent gets her rocks off. Yeah, suddenly uh, Terry's got a craving for some smoked meats and she puts some moves on Vincent here and he becomes overwhelmed. We get another topless scene of Terry right off the bat and he kind of stops her saying like, you know, he's old fashioned. So he's like, we should be married first. And she actually takes this as a genuine proposal. Right. Yeah. The next day, uh, Vincent goes to the local church and gets the uh ceremony all set up yep they are gonna get married now a day later and uh bruce catches wind of this from the pastor and it just flips his shit and he rushes over to the motel and he ends up barging in on terry who's taking a bath and we get our third terry topless scene in rapid succession this time with bubbles the topless terry scenes are back to back to back <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like we say, horror has to deliver the goods, and they squeezed all the goods they could out of Terry in the middle section of this film. Yeah, I might like to squeeze some goods. <laughs> <laughs> so Bruce thinks something must be wrong with Terry. He can't believe she's going to marry Vincent. And once he realizes she is, he's like telling her the law won't allow it. Vincent's dumb. He says he has syphilis of the brain. <laughs> His pecker don't work. Yeah, he tells her the pecker don't work. I like he says, uh, how are you going to feel on your wedding night when he takes off his overalls and it's a shriveled up prune? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Bruce is talking some mad shit and Vincent walks in and he's got his shotgun pressed right up on Bruce's back and then he puts it up against Bruce's uh, dingling. And he, I like Bruce says, I'm sad to see you're taking this so hard. It's one of the jokes that almost lands for me, <laughs> but still not quite. Yeah, this one is, it's all right. You totally skipped over the preacher joke. <laughs> oh, yeah. From earlier, when Bruce is reading, he's reading a, a dirty magazine in his, in his car when the preacher comes up and tells him the news about Vincent and Terry, and then the preacher confiscates it, and then, of course, the preacher looks at it, when Bruce is gone and he's like, and the preacher's like, oh, oh Lord. And then he puts the, puts the dirty magazine in his bag. That dirty magazine gonna have him talking in tongues later. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Jokes like this are like so obvious. Like I just see the punchline coming a mile away and I'm just like, just say it. Like, so you can get to the next scene. By the way, this movie is an hour and 40 minutes long. This is the longest movie we've 
watched so far. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on Fraternity. I was definitely taken aback by the feature length. I was like, oh my gosh. And this movie could have used a trim. Like, as much as I love the Wolfman Jack Preacher, did it really need to be in there? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a bit unnecessary. Yeah, there's a lot you could cut, I think. And it would be a tighter, a tighter film and maybe less, like, all over the place. Because, like, there is no reason for this movie to be an hour and 40 minutes. Like, it could easily be 90 or 80 minutes and be as effective and, I think, more effective. 88 tops, for sure. (laughs) But, yeah, Vincent ends up firing off a warning shot and Bruce skedaddles. And now we are getting pretty far into this movie, actually. And we see Vincent, Terry, and Ida celebrating the upcoming wedding. They're having champagne in bed, and Ida once again drugs Terry. Like, poor Terry. You would think she'd have some physical ailments after the amount of time she gets drugged in this movie. (laughs) I know, right? She thinks nothing of it. Yeah, she's always like, oh, I must have fallen asleep, but, uh... You must sleep 12 hours a day, Terry. Yeah, really. (laughs) Come on, get a clue, Terry. So Terry passes out and Vincent and Ida are going to go get to work in the secret garden. And it's time for us to witness some humane human slaughter. This is uh, another scene that actually ends up working for me because it is so weird. And it does like this scene just reeks of 70s, (laughs) like late 70s. Before we get to that scene, too, we do see that Bruce is starting to do some investigative police work. And we get a couple cuts to him like looking at things like the cars in the lake and he finds shotgun shells in the tire of Terry's motorcycle. And the bottom line there is he's, he's starting to put it together. So we go back to the secret garden and the three male members of Ivan and the Terribles, they're ripe for the plucking. And Vincent sets up these three like psychedelic contraptions that feature this spiraling pattern spinning over four multicolored flashing lights. And The stoner dudes are quickly hypnotized by this, and I love how Vincent rattles on about, like, hypno-highs, astral projection, and space travel, and the men become more and more entranced, and Ida slips nooses around their necks, and then they use the tractor to snap all their necks at once. So you said you really liked this scene, huh? Yeah, it's a fun scene. It's fun. It's, It's got funny visuals, but it's also got this creepy tone, like... You know, Farmer Vincent has this weird aura, and it's, like, weird to see this farmer, rural dude talk about, like, astral projection and, like, drugs and, like, make all these references to, like, space travel and stuff. Yeah. And he's like, oh, yeah, I thought you'd boys be into this, you know? Yeah, Rory Calhoun definitely nails it, and it's a great scene. He really sells it. Like, it's humane slaughter. He's got to hypnotize them because they're God's creatures after all. (laughs) Yeah, he says he doesn't want them to suffer... Right. So they're dead and Vincent and Ida take them to the smokehouse. And as they do, we see that Bo is starting to wriggle his way out of the garden to freedom. So we're starting to get a lot of moving parts now with Bo is clearly getting himself free. We've got Bruce putting everything together. And now we're going to go smoke some meats. You know, the old saying, never ask how the sausage is made. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we're about to see how Farmer Vincent's smoked meats get made, for better and for worse. So Ida begins by stripping down and cleaning our human cattle, and Vincent goes and checks some meat already in the smoker, and we get this pretty disgusting look at a charred torso as Vincent takes a taste. What did you think about all this going on? We're fastly approaching the climax of the film here, and yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on with Bo coming out of the ground, and you know, getting the rest of the of the planted victims up. And yeah, I like that we get finally get to see the process of, you know, the torso being smoked and how it all works with slaughtering the victims. And, you know, Ida has to clean them all, clean them up. Because I have a question. Weren't they like shitting and pissing in those holes? Like they got to be pretty dirty. Like, <laughs> isn't, yeah. this, isn't, isn't, aren't the, isn't this meat kind of tainted? <laughs> <laughs> Well, Ida gives them the sponge baths, so... Yeah, I guess that's enough. <laughs> yeah, the human torso, though, is pretty gruesome, you know, like, we see Yeah, that... it's just, like, this completely black torso yeah, <laughs> hanging. The head's been cut off, the arms have been cut off, it's been hollowed out, like, you can see this slit right up the middle of the chest. It's 
pretty disgusting stuff. <laughs> yeah. And it's especially good because, you know, I, I think this film is a little light on gore. All this stuff at the slaughterhouse is definitely welcomed. Yeah, it delivers. This, I think from this point on, the movie delivers in the horror department quite handily. So we still got Bo struggling to unplan himself. And now Bruce shows up and sneaks onto the property. And like I said earlier, Bruce had discovered the shotgun shells in the blown out tire of the motorcycle. And he finds Terry and he starts to explain the situation to her. And it's a tall task because there's been numerous times now where he's just made an ass out of himself to her. Yeah, he's kind of like the boy who cried wolf here, you know. Right, totally. He's he's already already like tried to explain himself like too many times and Terry just isn't listening. So I like here Ida like starts to disgust Vincent with some gnarly stomach growling. <laughs> yeah, I like they're back and forth here. He's like, I'm hungry. He's like, well, go eat something, but make it snappy. <laughs> yeah, he sends her inside to get some food just as he starts to saw off Ivan's head with a chainsaw. I think this is Ivan or do you think this is one of the terribles? I think Ivan is the one with the like the the beard uh, jewelry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's him. That's who he saw in the head off of here. So that's who I thought Ivan probably was too. (laughs) Ivan and the Terribles. (laughs) Jesus. And then the the two the three Terribles, but only two of the Terribles are here right now. Right. So in inside the house, Ida's treating herself to whipped cream and hot sauce covered chicken. Is that what I'm supposed to think this is? I thought it was ketchup, and it looked like someone already ate the chicken leg that she got, and she was eating it again. <laughs> it's funny that every time we've seen Ida eat has not been cannibalistic. That is true. Or weren't they eating the, the meat at the at the picnic Yeah, earlier? she might have been eating it at the picnic, but... She was, she was eating and drinking a lot, so it's hard to tell with her. Yeah. So she's munching down, and she overhears Bruce talking to Terry, and just like earlier, she's able to get the drop on Bruce... And she knocks him out and she grabs Terry and she's going to take her to Vincent because it's time to teach Terry the finer points in meat smoking. Then we also see back in the garden, Bo has finally managed to free himself and he's in the process of digging all the other victims out of the ground. And surely these people are hell-bent on revenge. And it's not long after that we get a shot of the whole group making their way towards the motel. And indeed, they are coming for revenge, right? Yeah, I love how they're like stumbling. Like they haven't used their limbs in, in a week or a couple weeks. <laughs> they're almost walking like zombies. They almost look like zombies. I thought the exact same thing. Yeah, they, they, they're very zombie-like in the way they're like a horde approaching the motel. They're making the, the, the guttural sounds with their throat with their slit throats you know yeah they're kind of like zombie adjacent yeah definitely so we go back into the smokehouse and vincent like plunges his butcher knife into a pig head because he sees ida has brought terry and it's here that the dark secrets are pretty much revealed we see ivan and the terribles have been reduced to three tender torsos just hanging on meat hooks ready for the smoker (laughs) it's terrible because it's like okay these are just people 30 minutes ago and now they're literally just torsos hanging on meat hooks yeah it's fun i like the torsos hanging (laughs) yeah terry spits on vincent as he starts to talk to her and ida laughs and he gets mad and sends her to go get bruce and on her way she ends up getting attacked by these zombie-like victims they catch her on the porch and they're like feral when they attack her. Like you, you were spot on when you said they're zombie like, cause that's what I put here. It's like, she gets attacked by a horde of zombies basically. And like you said, they're malnourished now and they're drained. So I just kind of able to fight them off for a while until she does get overwhelmed and they end up knocking her out. Yeah. There's just too many of him of them for her to take. You know, Ida had weight on her side, but it wasn't enough against like six or seven people. The victims have gotten revenge on Ida and more of that will come. But one thing we really didn't discuss too much yet is the justification that Vincent and Ida have in their minds. They truly believe there's nothing wrong in what they're doing. They believe themselves to almost be trendsetters and do-gooders. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. They th- you know, Ida says like, you think people are going to appreciate what we're doing later on, you know, and Vincent's like, you do get it. You do understand. Yeah. So there is like this element of like greater good in what they're doing. Right. In their mind, 
the world is overpopulated and lacks the food to go around. So they believe what they're doing is helping the situation in two ways. They're eliminating people and making more food. (laughs) And it's here that we get to really hear Vincent explain it as clearly as he does in the movie. Yeah, he basically says, like, you know, there's two problems. There's overpopulation and there's world hunger. And in his head, he's solving both. You know, he's killing two birds with one stone when he smokes his meat, which are humans, which takes care of the population. And then he's solving the hunger problem because he's making more food when maybe there isn't food available or food gets harder to source. Yeah. He really doesn't understand how someone can see what he is doing is wrong. (laughs) He happily points out the fact that the whole town eats and loves his meat. And he also reminds Terry how much she enjoyed his meat, you know, despite the fact that She was an unwitting participant. Like, she didn't know she was eating human flesh. I love when she says that, too. She's like, people, human flesh. (laughs) (laughs) Human flesh. (laughs) And then I really like how he points out that his good old brother Bruce is the biggest cannibal in the whole county. (laughs) Yeah, which just ignores the fact, like, okay, but would they be cannibals if they knew what they were eating? (laughs) Right, right. He he really believes he's doing good, and I love the explanation here. I love his little monologue. I like when she says, what gives you the right to play God? And he's like, I'm not playing God. I wouldn't know where to start. I'm just helping <laughs> out. <laughs> yeah, it definitely makes sense for Vincent to kind of have this, yeah, simple explanation for what he's doing. You know, he hasn't thought too deeply about it. So Vincent's loading the torsos into the smoker, and Terry uses this opportunity to try to escape, but the door's locked from the outside, and Vincent approaches her with the gas mask, and he ends up putting her to sleep again, and he puts, <laughs> he puts her on this conveyor belt. And while this is all going on, Bo is sneaking around on the roof of the smokehouse, and he looks down through some windows in the ceiling and ends up crashing through to do battle with Vincent. The two men, they brawl all through the smokehouse. I like Vincent even beats him with his meat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he does beat his meat. (laughs) So eventually they end up near the smoker and Vincent smashes Bo's head against the bricks multiple times before tossing him headfirst into the smoker to his fiery death. And I thought it was interesting because Terry's knocked out again, so she never knows that Bo was there, that he was alive and fought for. Right, yeah. She she never got to see Bo one last time. She always assumed he was gone. Yeah, so Bruce finally wakes up, and he grabs Vincent's shotgun, and now he's heading to the smokehouse. He blows the lock off the door, and as he gets inside, we see Vincent wielding a chainsaw and wearing the pig's head as a mask. Iconic image from the film. What did you think when you saw this? I don't know why Vincent is wearing the the pig mask and like he's laughing maniacally if you kind of listen a little bit. Like he's he's like <laughs> he's like doing that. Um it's fun. It's cool. Like I like the chainsaw duel. At first I was like, "Bruce, why did you like block the chainsaw with your shotgun? You dumbass." But then it's like, "Okay, they're just setting up the chainsaw duel. <laughs> this is fine. I I get what you were going for. It's fun. It's not like my favorite fight, but it's a, it's a fun climax for the film for sure." Yeah. Like you said, they start dueling with chainsaws and Bruce is getting dangerously close to getting slashed and They fight all throughout the smokehouse and somehow the conveyor that Terry is laying on starts up and her unconscious body begins to inch toward this vertical meat saw and she wakes up and she sees her dilemma and she's screaming out for Bruce and in the other room Bruce and Vincent are still dueling. Bruce has a few flesh wounds now and eventually Bruce swings the chainsaw at Vincent and he misses but his blade gets caught in a wooden support beam and Vincent takes the opportunity to swing his chainsaw at Bruce who ducks under it and he misses but the momentum causes him to stumble into the spinning blade of Bruce's chainsaw and you see it just rip into his side and into his stomach and he screams out in pain Ugh, pretty graphic ending to a chainsaw fight right yeah I like this the gore that you see come out from his side and his screams it's it's very simple and it's not like the goriest thing like this like I said this film hasn't been that gory but you know this little bit of like 
you know, almost realistic gore is is pretty fun. Yeah. Then we get this really ridiculous hero shot of Bruce swinging in on the meat hook to rescue Terry. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to talk about this shot. Was it? Ne- do you like it or do you hate it? Was it necessary <laughs> him swinging through? I feel like it kind of fits Bruce's dorky ass to swing on, swing in to save Terry. It gets enough of a chuckle out of me that I don't mind, but it's so stupid and ridiculous because he, he's only swinging like a few feet anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's like 10 feet. <laughs> I remember when I saw it on TV and I remember that scene particularly because I just furrowed my brow like, what the hell? You know? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, it's a we- oddly placed bit of humor <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah. So after that bit of weirdness he rescues terry and they both go find vincent and he's still got the chainsaw embedded in his stomach and he can't get it out but graciously bruce turns it off and he sits down holding the chainsaw basically awaiting his death and he tells bruce you know he's giving him his blessing to take the motel and take the garden and take his animals and we get a confession here. You know, Vincent finally owns up to his crimes and he admits his sins. He's been using preservatives. And those <laughs> those are Vincent's dying words. Did you like his dying words? Or I take it you thought it was cheesy? <laughs> it was just stupid. Like I said, it's just like the most obvious joke. And I was like, you could do better than this. <laughs> I don't know. I was, I, was, I was over it. I think I was over it at this point. <laughs> I feel you. I understand. I totally get it too. Yeah, it's like, I think Roy Calhoun delivers it. I think his acting is great for the death scene. Oh, yeah. But yeah, they, they take the the point A to point B route with the comedy. And like I said earlier, it's just so dry. It's hard to swallow. Yeah, there's nothing against Roy Calhoun. He's He's amazing. You know, I hope we watch more films with him in it. Yeah, he's great. He's definitely, if I had to pick a highlight in the movie, it's just Rory Calhoun's portrayal of Farmer Vincent. Like, the movie's the best when he's on screen. Yeah, I think with a with a lesser known actor or not as good actor, I think this film would be a, a lot worse than it is, in my opinion. He totally, like, kind of almost saves the movie sometimes just because he's fun to watch and he's a really great actor. Yeah. So this could have been the end of the movie. But Bruce and Terry end up hearing a scream. Uh, Do you want to explain what they end up finding? Yeah, so Bruce and Terry make their way over to the secret garden, and they see two legs sticking out of the holes that once held the victims. And those legs are none other than Ida's. So they go to touch the legs, and then Ida moves moves her legs all rapidly. So she's still alive. She's been buried alive by the victims earlier. And where are those victims? We really don't know. We don't see them anymore. (laughs) But this is the end of Ida here, buried alive. I thought it was a good little jump scare when her legs kick and a fitting end to Ida being buried face down, ass up. (laughs) Yeah, I I like this part. It's it's a little bit of humor that that works for me in a in a in a nice way to see Ida go. (laughs) Right. And what are Bruce and Terry to do? You know, they just have to look on bewildered and helpless because they don't know about the garden. You know, they don't know about the other people that were still alive. So they just find Ida buried here upside down. It's a it's a interesting little bit of a finality. And then uh, they're walking away. They're both leaving the scene and Bruce is pondering an investigation, and Terry says, I think you should just burn the place to the ground, and Bruce kind of looks at her questioningly, and she says, it's an evil motel, and we see the motel hello neon sign one last time, and the dysfunctional O finally explodes and gives us the motel hell, and then our credits roll, and that's motel hell. Yeah, I think the ma- the movie was made just for that shot. oh man they they were ready for that o to explode and then it and then the neon sign to read motel hell they were like hell yeah this is gonna be cool man (laughs) (laughs) all right so i have to ask did you like this movie i don't hate this movie and i think it's watchable (laughs) it has enjoyable parts i wouldn't say i like it but i don't hate it it's definitely like in the middle for me. Definitely misses a lot of marks. It's too long. 
And I don't really like the characters outside of Vincent, but the only reason Vincent is good is kind of because it's actor. So yeah, it has a lot of issues, but there are good things in this movie. There is stuff to appreciate. And at the at the very least, it's creative. You know, it's a it's a different kind of horror movie. It's a different kind of comedy horror movie. It's it's different. And I think it could work for some people. I could definitely see people liking this a lot more than I did. I, th- I just think this kind of is the type of horror movie that I just don't like, where it's just like, you know, it doesn't lean too far into any any kind of subgenre. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's a uh, there's no deeper themes in this movie. It's just a drive-in movie and it's supposed to be fun and too often it just doesn't stick the landing. Like I like this movie. I don't really like this movie and I don't love this movie, but I do like it. I think there's enough in it to enjoy. And I was thinking about it cuz we had a discussion because a few people have suggested that we start adding in some movies that maybe you don't like and I like or vice versa and we were like talking about how we celebrate horror so can we really do that and i think this movie made me realize that yes we can because we're gonna celebrate the good the great the bad the weird everything there's still things to celebrate in this movie it's just not an all-time great i think it's a good movie to throw in if you're doing a 31 days of horror watch it's very serviceable and you'll have a semi-decent time with it depending on your tolerance and level of horror watching to begin like if you're just getting into horror definitely avoid motel hell but if you've seen a lot under the sun and you haven't seen this i think you should you know not every film is gonna be is gonna hit for you you know and i think it's fun to talk about films that you maybe don't like and i think just the fact that we're talking about it here you know is showing our appreciation for it because honestly who else is talking about motel hell (laughs) you know so i just think taking the time to talk about these movies is celebration in and of itself and the fact on whether we like it or not you know isn't really the most important factor and i think me and sean like we really try to like see the good and and everything you know because i always try to at least like i want like I'll I'll admit when something's good in a film and you know and I'll tell you what didn't work but I can look at a film and say like you know I can see what they were going for there and you know I understand what they were trying to do but maybe it just didn't work for me and like I said you know the swinger scene in this film is is hilarious to me like I love that scene so just the fact that this movie gave me something that I love even if it's like a little 3 4 minute scene that's worth it to me that's worth the watch Yeah, I'll add to that. I think it's important to understand the tone of this movie when you go in because I own this movie. I've seen this movie a handful of times, not as much as I've seen some of the favorites of mine, but it had been a few years since I watched it. And some of our audience might not know, but when we prepare to do these podcasts, we watch these movies two or three times in a matter of days. And the first time I watched Motel Hell, I think I had kind of forgot how the tone of this movie is. I forgot how much it leans on the dark comedy and, as I call it, dry comedy. But I will admit, the more I watched it in preparation for this, the more I did like it. Once I settled into its grooves, you know, it grew on me, I'll say. Yeah, I think that's just the nature of watching things over and over, you know. And I don't think it's like a matter of forcing yourself to like it. But I think if you give a movie enough of a shot and more chances, I think you're just naturally going to see the good in a film, which I don't think is a bad thing. I don't think it's forcing yourself or anything. I think it's just a natural way. You know, I think I I think people don't give movies enough. They don't give movies enough of a chance. You know, how many people like really sit down and watch a movie that they didn't like or were maybe on the fence about it? You know, people typically just watch their favorites, you know, but, you know, all art should be appreciated in multiple ways and multiple times. And sometimes things just take a take a long time to uh, become something that you like. You know, maybe you don't like something on your first viewing, but maybe your second viewing you you kind of see it kind of works for you in a different way. So you never know. You know, I'm always willing to give something a second shot. And, you know, who knows? Maybe in a decade, I'll look back on Motel Hell and really like it. You know, you should always be open to change in your opinion because you're always growing as a person and, you know, you're not the same person you were five years ago. Yeah, it's definitely a cult classic and clearly it's had longevity 
and that's not without reason. So with that said, we only got two more things to do, Danny. Did you find yourself a favorite kill in this movie? Well, there's not really many kills in this film, if we're speaking honestly. But uh, I got to go with, uh, I guess, the moral killing of Ivan and the Terribles with the psychedelic 70s (laughs) vibe. Yeah, that was my choice, too. And like you said, there really isn't much in the way of kills besides these three and... (laughs) Vincent and Ida. So uh, what made you choose this at the end of things? Yeah, like I said earlier, it just has this weird vibe with Farmer Vincent being their captain and taking them on this space trip, you know, astral projection. And I love the looks on their faces when they're getting hypnotized. They're making this these stupid like tongue out faces and like bug eyed. And it's all and it's like Rory Calhoun has this like very calm tone of voice that when he's talking to them and you know, it's almost caring. I think that's why the the character of Vincent works so well for me is like, he's so well at playing that like really nice guy, but there's something like twisted underneath. Yeah. All in all, it's great. And I love when they, when they finally do snap their necks and they, they pull them on the tractor and you hear the, the snap <laughs> and the tractors like it, it does a wheelie when it, <laughs> when it's going. Yeah. It's, it's a fun scene. I like it. Yeah. A trio of necks being snapped at once by a tractor pull is definitely unique and i chose it too i call it the psychedelic neck snapping and i chose it honestly more for the scene itself and not the kills i just really like the scene it's not my favorite scene but it's a close second you know from the psychedelic light show the audio and the visuals the filming techniques are really good in this scene and the editing is superb and then like you said you have farmer vincent rambling on about far out trips man astro projection I really, I really like it. <laughs> so, favorite scene? Again, I gotta say, the swinging couple at Motel Hello is just so ridiculously stupid that I just love it. I love Guy. I love all. I could dig it, you know? I love how, where's my jelly? <laughs> like, I have so many quotes written down just from Guy. You know, those are like some of the only quotes in the film I wrote down in my notes because it's just so memorable to me and so stupid and vapid and disgusting that I just love it. And it's the only time in the film I really think they lean into the ridiculous comedy aspect of the film. You know, a lot of the rest of the jokes are just either flat or way too dry and they don't land. But this is just like so ridiculous and the and the actor portraying Guy totally sells it. And Vincent and Ida coming in and kind of clashing with these two and tying them up. And they're all like totally into it. Like, yeah, we're in the bondage. <laughs> like, I just love it. I, it's just so stupid. That's cool, man. You know, it's funny because I really thought during that scene, I was like, this is either going to kill the movie for Danny or make it for him. And it's funny to see <laughs> what side of that coin you ended up on because... I think it's a funny scene too, and it probably has the best jokes in the whole movie. Like I said, most of the jokes really don't land, but Guy is very funny. So, awesome choice. I don't know. There was like a, a maybe a couple minute, like a minute into it, I was like, oh no, like please stop, like don't do this. <laughs> but then when it was going on, it would, it just, like I said, it reached a point of like stupidity that I, like it went back around and then I loved it. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Dig it, man. I dig it. <laughs> I could dig it. <laughs> so, Sean, how about your favorite scene? My favorite scene is the chainsaw battle at the end of the film. I often like to talk about classic or iconic scenes in a horror film, and I think this is definitely one of them. Horror is a genre that lends itself to subpar films being able to leave their mark with just one well-executed scene. And this is the scene that always caught my attention, whether it was my original viewing or seeing screenshots of this, or just even watching it today, it's still, the movie ends on a high note, you know, and if you have the patience and tolerance to get there, I think the chainsaw battle is well executed and very enjoyable and very memorable. I don't think the film would have the cult following that it does if it weren't for this finale. Farmer Vincent wearing the pig's head and wielding the chainsaw, it's simply unforgettable. And really delivers in a movie that, like we said, sometimes struggles to. So that's all I can really say about it. Yeah, that's a solid choice. And I think it's a great final battle for the film. It's, uh, yeah, the climax of the film is really well done compared to kind of everything else. It's definitely paced well. And it works out for sure. 
I just wanted to say that a majority of this film was filmed in Santa Clarita on a ranch uh, called Sable Ranch. And I used to live in Santa Clarita, so oh, wow. it's just a fun fact. And I wanted to say that I went on the website for this the Sa- the Santa Clarita Sable Ranch, and they list movies that have fil- been filmed there. And I wanted to say that uh, Motel Hell was not on the list. <laughs> <laughs> There's a shock. <laughs> so uh, I just thought that was fun. We maybe we should start a petition. <laughs> yeah, come on, give the, give Motel Hell the credit it deserves. Yeah, Rory Calhoun deserves it. Here's looking down on you, Sable Ranch. Shame on you. (laughs) All right, man. Well, that's week number two of our October Horror Festival. I'm glad we could get together to do this, and I hope everyone listening enjoyed the podcast and is ready for two more weeks of our horror extravaganza. Yeah, we're going to keep going. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, our handle is fraternity at fraternity is our handle and you can email us fraternity at gmail.com uh you can send us questions emails anything anything you want any comments we'd love to hear from you and if you liked listening to this podcast you can rate it it would really help us out if you dig our podcast please give us some ratings we'd really love it yeah we'd really appreciate the ratings and speaking of ratings i gotta give a friend a really good rating I want to give a shout out real quick to a good friend of mine, Rachel, who over the past few weeks has really helped us be able to bring this podcast to you. You know, I'm still in a internet deprived situation and getting this podcast out has been very seat of the pants. And luckily, thanks to good friends like Rachel, we're able to deliver the goods to you and keep bringing content without fail. So thanks, Rachel. And thank you, Danny, for this excellent outro music. Thank you. Thank you, Rachel. Yeah, we really appreciate that. We can keep going and keep doing this, especially in October, which is, you know, a really good month to be active. And yeah, thanks for the comments about the, uh, the music. Anytime. See you all next week. Good night, everybody.